Welcome to the Behind the Goals podcast, the podcast about fans, for fans and by fans. Please welcome your hosts, Andrew Jenkin and Alan Russell. Hello and welcome to Behind the Goals episode 23. Absolute uh, pleasure to have on the podcast this week. Uh, football journalist Corden Waddle, who has joined us today to talk about an article he wrote uh, in the Sunday Mail a couple of weeks ago um, about the future of Rangers and uh, fan ownership at Rangers as well. Um, he's written a piece called Why the Time is Now, I think. Is it called that? Uh, it's, <laughs> it's called... I turned the page, the page over just as Andrew's about to read that. <laughs> I, was, I thought I was really assured there, but I couldn't. I had to try and make it up. So no, Dave King is not the answer to Rangers problems, but the fans are. So uh, a piece pro-fan involvement, fan ownership, and um, trying to get to the bottom of why he thinks that Rangers fans have in the past perhaps missed an opportunity. Yeah. And the the closing line of that article, if you've not read it, he says, instead of King being forced to offer to buy their shares, they should be trying to find a way to buy his, which mm. I think is like a you know perfect perfect encapsulation of uh, if that's a word uh, of the idea behind the article. Yeah, absolutely. So we've known Gordon for a while, haven't we? He well. Uh, our predecessors as well people mm. that work for supporters yeah. direct before us um but i'm led to believe he gave a, a speaker one of our very first yeah conferences. one of the very first things back he, he said it was 20 years ago we probably think he's uh it's more like sort of 16 17 years ago but mm. yeah a long way back right at the birth of supports direct in scotland um so he's been a, a friend of the organization for for that time and he clearly he he thinks a lot about these issues um and uh and also writes about them, does that difficult job that uh, Andrew Jennings talked about uh, when we had him on the podcast of you know actually getting involved in the business of football rather mm. than just talking about the sport of football. Yeah, we're treading that line. Yeah, uh, And I, I think what's interesting is actually that Gordon was probably talking about these issues before it was kind of... Um, common ownership model so yeah. he, you know he he was even talking about 1999 we could have had a fan ownership model at Falkirk yeah which yeah. was you know really 10 years yeah. before any club in Scotland adopted it as a yeah. as a genuine model so interesting stuff and um it's good to get his views and, and have him on the show yep so we're joined by Gordon Waddle here um the sports columnist from the Sunday Mail um welcome to the office here Gordon good morning nice Pleased to, to be you. here <laughs> um okay I guess the principal way reason for wanting you to, on the podcast is to talk about the article you wrote two three weeks ago about the Rangers ownership situation and recommending urging them to go down the route of supporter ownership following the example of a few other clubs but before we get into that maybe you want to just tell us a little bit about your background in journalism um how you got involved uh, how you got how you got into doing the type of journalism that you're doing today oh this, this could take a while actually, <laughs> it, it wasn't quite as straightforward, I, I, I was a trainee accountant believe it or not out of school for uh, for, for five years and before I realised that it wasn't something that I could do for the rest of my life and, uh, and bailed uh, my first look at newspapers was my, my brother was um, uh, was a deputy editor of the Sunday Scott, the ill-fated Sunday Scott as mm. it's always referred to under David Murray's tenure obviously it only lasted six months but but they were uh, scrambling about looking for copy boys uh, who effectively ran the errands and all that kind of stuff so uh, while I was waiting to, to have a change of life and a change of career and go to university I agreed that I would jump in there for uh, for a few months to kind of help them out um, and ended up loving the environment um, out of the ashes of the Sunday Scott this, uh, an organisation called Seven Day Press started which was uh, an agency started by Bill Leckie was in there Steve Sampson who had been the editor of the Sunday Scott Keith Jackson was in there uh, and a couple of other guys and I kind of went in as a, uh, a, a a rookie reporter if you like um, and within three years I ended up in London at Today newspaper as your Scottish sports editor back up the road to the Sunday Mail in 1998 and was 20 years ago coming up mm-hmm. um, and have been in there since although with a brief detour to the Daily Record as a sports editor so yeah. uh, that's it in, in as short a nutshell as I can probably provide. Um, <laughs> so it's always sports journalism? Uh, I've always done sport yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm happy for it to be that way. love my sport. Uh, I'm just back not long back from the Commonwealth Games uh, which is a is a really refreshing detour sometimes in the madness of, of Scottish football. I've yeah. done the last couple of them yeah. in Australia and Delhi, as well as obviously the one in Glasgow. Um, I still uh, I, I still play uh, 
uh, international table tennis um, for right. Scotland's veterans and right. uh, I love to play a bit of basketball and cricket and golf and all that in my time so I'm, I'm fairly uh, broad-minded when it comes to sport I'm not kind of just uh, football obsessed but obviously, as you know, that's part of the job and all that. You, but did you manage to get any features on table tennis into the Sunday Mail? Uh, I have done, yes. <laughs> believe it or not, I've, uh, there, there even exists a, a, a little bit of video somewhere on our website of uh, from the, the last Commonwealth Games of, of me actually playing just after yeah. I made my comeback. So, uh, yeah. it's, um, but no, it's as I say, uh, the, the the football aspect of it may well uh, occupy ninety nine percent of my life, but uh, yeah. it's uh, but I, I, I just I have a general passion for sport. So anybody who's, who's yeah. basically paying me to go and watch sport on a daily basis and speak about sport is uh, is good enough by my yeah. So. so I never realised that you were a trainee accountant. Is that has that influenced the way that you view sport in some respects? Not, some, in, the, some not your... in the slightest. I think every <laughs> every aspect that I learned of doing uh, what I did there and my SIPFA exams and all that kind of stuff, I think. Has, has officially fallen out of my head. Okay. <laughs> you asked me to look at. I mean, I, to be fair, I, I could probably I could look at a balance sheet or a P and L account and, and kind of know what's what's going on with it. But mm. I have absolutely no interest in analysing it. So it hasn't influenced your decision in terms of the type of stuff you cover because you're you you know some of the articles you've you've written about governance and, and ownership of things and financials rather than just the kind yeah, of I stuff mean, that I, happens on the pitch. I kind of I, I understand it and I I I, I kind of hold to clubs. You know, washing their own face. You know, I mean, it always really annoys me when when you you see criticism of clubs in the lower leagues. You know, from clubs up the top who mm. have who, you know clubs who have been in administration and have, have, have thrown, you know uh, thrown the baby out with the bathwater, criticising you know clubs down the divisions like your Montroses and places like that who who, mm. who have run a tight ship for for mm. years yeah. and who are at the heart of their community. So I, I, I like to see good governance in football and to me there's no excuse for not having it because there are enough yeah. good people around within football, within yeah. supports, within clubs uh, that there should be no excuse for it not to be the case. And obviously as we're going to talk about in terms of support or ownership and, and club, uh, you know, clubs owned by fans if not necessarily run by them, then there's, there's, there's no excuse for not having it because every support is mm. capable of to a greater or lesser degree of, of having a, an, a strong involvement and in, in making it part of their part of the fabric of their community. Yeah, I, I, I guess I guess sorry. there's a lot of journalists that, that would share that uh, that concern about governance governance and ownership, but not all write about it so much. How do you how do you strike the right balance between writing about the on field stuff and the off field stuff? It's obviously it gets into the headlines and across all media uh, when there's a, a big event like what happened. Uh, 2012 with Rangers, yeah. um, but but actually keeping it there and and uh, and six years on still writing about it. Yeah, I mean the, the Rangers situation is obviously unique, and you know so because so many people were affected by it and wanted wanted to talk about it, and not just Rangers fans. Obviously, I mean like it affected everybody. It's, it's striking the balance sometimes because, I, and I'm conscious of when you write about governance from a, from a wider point of view, when you talk about the SFA or the SPFL or you know, and, and I'm conscious of. My sports editor sometimes drumming his fingers on the desk and kind of giving it, <laughs> you know, because I, I, he, you know, and and a lot of people quite rightly believe that you know people really aren't interested in the nuts and bolts. A lot of a lot of football fans just want to go to the football. Yeah, and yeah. I absolutely understand that. I, I I fully agree that that some people kind of get bored rigid by talk of, you know, yeah. league structure and and boards and and you know the the machinations of what goes on behind the scenes in football, but. It's important because when you know, in, in the end, when when you when you get to your product on a Saturday afternoon, mm. and I hate the use of that word product, but I mean, ultimately, mm. if you want to talk in those terms, then you know, the, the, if if you want to turn up and, and and see your team and feel as if you're part of your club, then you know what's going on behind the scenes has to be has to be right, it has to mm. be stable, yeah. it has to be yeah. you know, and and obviously, you know, with certain clubs that hasn't been the case, which is in a lot of cases prompted exactly what you guys do in terms of you know the the the, the fan. Involvement uh, model that has that has come around that places like Motherwell and you know it's a great, you know we've seen success stories we've seen you know things that Dundee for example have been less than a success we've, you know we we still were looking at an ongoing situation at Stirling Albion which is still in flux after you know years of, of trying yeah. to get it right you yeah. know so I mean there's um, there's there's a lot of what goes on uh, that I think that you can justify writing about and, and keeping it there. Because ultimately, you have to make people realise sometimes that it is really important to, yeah. To, yeah. For, for them to be able to turn yeah. up on a Saturday yeah. and watch the football at three o'clock. Then, then yeah. you know, uh, otherwise, 
you know, if, if it's not right, then your your clubs your clubs are gone. Yeah. yeah. The other interesting thing that you said there, which was was really good to hear, because you won't hear a lot of other people involved in football say it, is actually that there is a model for everyone out there, and like you'll have to often hear people say, "Oh, there's no one size fits all," but actually, every club can have fan involvement. It doesn't necessarily have to be fan ownership. But you can have fan involvement and kind of dialogue between yeah. clubs and, and, and you know fans themselves. And um, as you say, there's no excuse for not having that, really. Yeah, I mean, for some clubs, as I say, that I mean, there will be some clubs that have been run perfectly well and that mm. the people are perfectly content with, with what they have. Uh, there are other clubs that are basket cases. There are other clubs that are run by people that you wouldn't have running, you know, you wouldn't run in the shopping for you, you know. So it's, and this is where you, you get disquiet. And, and, and again, as I'm sure we'll probably talk about that, Probably most fan organisations and, and and moves towards fan ownership are born out of crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, o- almost not not exclusively, but but you know, mm-hmm. I, I would take a guess at probably ninety percent. And I'm not just talking about in Scotland here. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about in general that that, that moves towards that. Um, come from your club being in trouble and yeah. you bailing them out. Mm-hmm. It happened to Falkirk in 98 when we went into provisional liquidation. Everybody always thinks we went into administration, but I, and I can't remember what the technical difference is, but we went into provisional liquidation in 98. And the thing is, if if we'd known then what we know now about you know doing this kind of thing, I mean, Falkirk's fans, the back, the back the Bairns organisation that was at the time, which of which George Craig, who's, mm. who's obviously now the... Football director at, at Hibs um, and was our MD for a while. Was he was at the kind of heart of that? But we raised fortunes and just handed it over, yeah. mm, with a, yeah. in, in exchange for absolutely nothing. Yeah. In exchange for no shares, no ownership, mm-hmm. no say, mm-hmm. no nothing. Uh, and that was a, 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 a in hindsight, that was a monumental mistake. Mm. Uh, because I mean, we could have been the first. You know, the, the amount of money that we raised mm-hmm. to dig them out of that hole. Because and they're still the only club that ever paid a hundred pence in the pound. Is that right? <laughs> uh, to the their creditors, yeah. Yeah. Um, to to get out of the hole. Right. Um, yeah. So so uh, you know anybody who ever says well it happened to Falkirk yeah but Falkirk did the right thing mm. by their creditors, mm. um, and and that was in, in the main thanks to guys like Martin Ritchie mm. and all that who are who are still there but. Uh, it, you know, in hindsight, that could have been a very early model for it yeah. if we had thought about it yeah. and said we'll give you the money, but in exchange we want. 51% of the club. Or, well, I guess yeah. uh, in 98, that kind of model to put trust weren't really known Didn't about get, getting shares in terms of putting them in a vehicle. I'm not even sure if Northampton Town had happened at that point. I think it was, was just point. after was that. I think it was so, 99. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, to, to yeah. their end, it just didn't exist. I mean, mm. I wasn't involved in it, but I mean, I, I went to every fundraising thing. Mm. I did, you mm. know, I handed over cash as, as and, and put it in buckets as, as they did. And, and we saved the club as a, as a support. We saved the club mm. um, and handed over, like, you know, a, a big six-figure sum to do it mm-hmm. so uh yeah so it, it, it happens but um it's, it's it's finding the it's finding the model that's that, that's right for you and i think the bigger the club probably arguably the more difficult it gets because mm-hmm. there are there are more issues to be had but yeah. I mean, if you you know if, I, I keep saying it, if, if hearts can do it I think hearts are the biggest model that we have and and it yeah. should you know people should be able to look up the way and down the way from hearts you know, as a as an as an ideal, yeah. Because they the way that they've done it and the way that they've held it together and the caliber of people that they have running their organisation. Because that's the other thing that's really important to remember is that I mean you're talking there about just the foundation of Hearts as a, a purely as a business with money coming in and money going out as you know as a as a seven figure turnover organisation. Yeah. It's not like yeah. a you know it's not like a boys club that you're running. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean it's like a, it's a million pound more than a million pound organisation with the amount yeah. of money they've got coming through. Yeah. So you need people that understand how to administer that money and how to administer you know people and how to keep people happy yeah. amongst that. We had Brian Jackson on a couple of weeks ago and he said pretty much the same thing. Actually, the key to fan ownership is about the quality and caliber of the people you have in the in the groups that are trying to take ownership. Yeah. And I think that's probably the, the biggest one thing to try and take away and push for, for trust in terms of strengthening themselves in terms of gaining credibility as well. Again, I go back to it though. I mean, like, you know, if you look at most supports, mm-hmm. most communities around the country, the, 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 within the stadium on any given day, you will, you, you will have, everybody who's there will be there because they're yeah. passionate about their club. But within there, there, there will be business guys. There will be, you know, there there will be chief executives. There will, you know, I mean, yeah. Well, almost, you know, a football stadium is almost a microcosm of society. You'll have every expert under the sun, yeah. in one place. On and a that Saturday doesn't necessarily mean if you, put, if, yeah, if you put them all together that it's going to necessarily work yeah. because you need a balance. You know, you yeah. need you need, you need the representation from from all walks. But but the one again, I go back to the fact that the one thing you do need 
are people that understand finance, people that understand the law, mm. you know, and, and mm. you know, and people that understand also the, the, the marketing and, and advertising aspects of, of how you garner a support together. Mm. You know, so and, and I could I could go around now just from a circle of friends that I have at Falkirk and pick you out somebody that represented every single one of these facets mm. who are absolutely at the top of their business mm. within Scotland or internationally and, yeah. and be able to do it. But again, the problem is, you know, it's, it's, it comes down to leadership and finding yeah. a unique individual. Hearts were lucky that they had Ian Murray as a as a voice and a figurehead, and Anne Budge as a kind of matriarch. I don't know if that's yeah. a, uh, a the, the right term for her, but uh, she was uh, she was key to it. But Ian Murray was also key in terms of having a figure there that people, yeah. I mean, who who would ever have thought an MP, <laughs> people thought they could trust. You know, <laughs> so, but, a rare breed. Uh, so that takes us quite nicely to your article about the Rangers situation because one of the things that really struck me in that you come to a, a few times in the article is the need for uh, a figurehead, you know, somebody that can uh, corral the fans together, um, that can represent all those, all those various interests and, and keep people glued together and moving in the same direction. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about why you wrote the Rangers article just now. I mean, what was it that prompted it in April 2018? Um, and you know, what, what would you say are the main themes within it? It's not the first time I've done it. It's not the first time I've written uh, that, that Rangers have missed opportunities, or Rangers support have missed opportunities. And the, the problem is, you know, for, for them is that they've, been, they've had their club in the hands at varying times of, of charlatans and, you know, and uh, guys who, who were only in it to see what they could get out of it. Um, yeah. So... They've got such a... I mean, they've got an enormous support. Obviously, there's that. So, I mean, you look at Hearts uh, as, as the example that we just cited. Hearts have a... a, a their foundation has a membership of 8,000. They have a season ticket base probably of, what, 15,000? You know, I mean, Rangers... So you can immediately multiply that by four or five times for, for Rangers. Not necessarily the season ticket base, but, you know, I mean, you would think that with the, the membership there, you, you could have a members organisation at Rangers of 40,000 people. And if everybody's doing what they do at Hearts, then, you know, Middle Point, I mean, that's a big old bank of last resort that you could put together if you could yeah. if you could just get everybody pulling in the right direction. Uh, and it needs it, because I, I think that, I still think that they're being taken for a ride by Dave King, and, you know, and, and I've yet to see anything that makes me think that that's not the case. I mean, you know, the club still post losses, they, they, they still... You know, I mean, a lot of the, you know, there's still so many question marks about the the, the loans that are there and them supposedly being turned into equity at, at the right time, and yet the takeover panel stuff that's going on. I, I just think that the fans, uh, that the, there's still a danger as has happened before that, that they are the ones who will end up suffering, um, and 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 amongst it, they have been the ones who have ended up suffering yeah. the most, and they've also they've been the most loyal. You know, what I mean, to see. You know, forty-five, fifty thousand. Uh, you know, to to watch Peterhead and 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 Elgin and Queens Park at Ibrox and you know and and those days, you know, uh, that shows a remarkable um, indefatigability about their their actual support. Yeah. But the the problem that they have that I can see is that they cannot get themselves together into, uh, you know, a, an organised single, you know, purpose, unified group that all want exactly the same thing and all agree with how to go and do it. Some of them are again are content with what's going on at the club just now and think that what they're getting is leadership. Uh-huh. Others uh, I think still retain and quite rightly retain a healthy dose of scepticism about uh, about what they're getting at the moment in terms of leadership um, and think that they should be more involved. I mean, as far as I'm aware, and you guys will maybe correct me on this, but I mean, the the, the fans, that the Club 1872 fans group are now the, what, the second biggest mm-hmm. shareholder, yeah. technically. Yeah. yeah. But how, you know, again, you go back to how much of a say do they have in anything that's happening there? For, a, for the mm-hmm. second largest shareholder group, they, they have zero say in what's going on at the club, yeah. I, I think, at the moment. Yeah. I think and, when we had Laura, Laura on from Club 1872, she, she, they were, she was highlighting what the target was for them and they were trying to get to the 20% share mark so they could get and 25% so they could you know, have some real influence. But until that point, you're absolutely right in terms of you know, shareholding. It's really difficult to have any kind of influence until you have some sort of actually constituted right to yeah, do something. Of, and again, if they were treated with respect and, and if, if the board were smart, you know, I mean, they, they would, they would give them more of a, a say to keep them more on board. But but one of the problems, and again, it's a perception. Um, 
uh, but it's, I mean, it's been I, I've I've certainly had evidence that has been proven to be correct. As as again that the lack of independence and in, in as much as that there are elements of of Club eighteen seventy two where they are being, you know, if not necessarily controlled by the club, certainly influenced by by the club and uh, and some of the club's hired help, if you know, for mm. for want of a better expression. So. Um, you know, and and that's obviously that I, I was aware of it kind of eighteen months ago or so when 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 it when it first came to my attention. But I mean, it's it's certainly come to the fore recently when it's when it's been getting talked about. And, and I think they had a director resignation from Club eighteen seventy two recently over issues such as that. So again, this is what you don't want to see in fans organisation as as a kind of like you know as, as a disparity of, of of purpose or people kind of like arguing with each other about you know well you're doing this and he's speaking to you and you're speaking you know, you can't have it. If you're yeah. going to find this way forward, you know you you must have somebody leading, and people prepared to all people prepared to follow, not yeah. sitting yeah. bite about it behind each other's backs. Do you think? And, do you think part of the problem is that when looking for that sort of single figurehead leadership, they've actually over the over the last few years, they've had these white knights coming out of nowhere, promising to change things, and people get behind the leader in the club rather than. A leader in the supporters' organisation yeah, is going to affect change, and, and this is the, this is a problem that there's been no continuity of you know from from that point of view, you know because they all they all wanted to see Craig White be the guy, they all wanted to see Charles Green be the guy, then they all wanted to see Dave King be the guy, and at varying times it would have might, maybe have been Bill Miller or you know mm. a, a, any one of a number of people. Um, Sands are just shifting too quickly. Yeah, and and, and and in that sense that they, they, they are. So it's uh, you know I. I I get frustrated for them. I get frustrated by them sometimes. You know, you're looking at them and, and they're, they're kind of dysfunction in, in terms of, of finding a way forward. But they've, they've, they've just got too many factions and, and this is the problem. And, and it's, it's kind of the opposite of what we experience at Falkirk just now because we're, we're endeavouring to do it but we don't have any factions, and this is a problem: is that, that we're we're beset by apathy when it comes to fan ownership. Right. You know, which is which is the yeah. polar opposite of what they're going through. They maybe they maybe really want to do it, and they they have the wherewithal to do it, but they, but they don't have the direction of, of travel. Um, we've got the opportunity, you know, to to have a good look at it, and people are kind of like, meh, you know, that's that's yeah. kind of their their attitude towards it. You know, thinking well, they they want rid of a board that they see has you know has has had their time. But then, if, if that's the case, then you need to take up the cudgels, yeah. you know. And, and Rangers fans, I think, fundamentally want to do that. They want to believe in Dave King, but they also want to have a say and they mm. want to be sceptical, yeah. you know. But you can't have your cake and eat it. Mm. You know, yeah. you, you can't have the sugar daddy, and especially if he's, if he's, if he's not proven himself yet to be a sugar daddy, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, and, and, and want to be led by him and led by the club and not be involved, and then also want to... To run it yourselves. Yeah, I think our our thing has always been try and get to the fifty point one percent shareholding mark. So uh, then at least the the destiny's in your hands as a support. And so, what would you say is the kind of um, biggest barrier to Rangers fans getting that right now? What would you What would you kind of encourage them to do? To I mean, at the moment, their biggest barrier the, 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 to co- cohesion mm. is one, and you know, and, and arguably Dave King is the other, you know, in, in, in that sense, because I, I don't think he's particularly interested in, in, in giving them mm. a say or giving them what yeah. they want. And I mean, he, he seems, I mean, uh, from an ideal scenario, and I said it at the time, and I've said it a couple of times, that, that from Rangers' point of view, the best thing they could actually do is get, is, is instead of finding ways to ex- just expand everybody's shareholding, is to actually get rid of his Mm-hmm. And 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 take over his mm-hmm. if they could find a way to do that and and find the vehicle and the leadership vehicle to say right that you know we're we're no longer trusting of of what you're actually doing with the club. I mean it's uh, time will tell. You know like if Stephen Gerrard, this is the thing, I mean this is how fickle mm-hmm. these things can be sometimes. If Stephen Gerrard comes out of the blocks like a train and 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 you know starts winning games left right and centre and wins the first old firm game that that he has mm-hmm. and and all that, then everything will be rosy in the garden yeah. and and. That, no, look under the car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and we all we all know that that's not necessarily the case. Mm. But the, but that's football fans for you. And again, it, it yeah. comes back down to a fundamental desire to just turn up at three o'clock on a Saturday, watch our team, shout at the referee, love our players, worship them, go home, talk about them with our mates in the pub, 
and repeat ad infinitum every week of the season. <laughs> that's what you want. That's everybody's yeah, kind yeah. of ideal scenario yeah. is that, that they don't ever have to think about how that comes about on a Saturday. But, yeah. you know, for, for so many clubs, we've seen that that's not the case. And I, I think that, you know, for, from a Rangers point of view, uh, they have they still have far more to go through in the next kind of couple of years, I think, that, that takes it beyond just being able to turn up on a Saturday and, and enjoy the game. Yeah. So, uh, so you mentioned a couple of other examples there. The, the club name you contrasted that to 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 your own club, Falkirk, um, and you've talked about Hearts. But um, you kind of this idea of uh, these movements being motivated by crisis. Um, you know, the other one that you mentioned in your article that you've not talked about specifically on so so far here uh, is the Smyrna example where it's yeah. not it's not coming out of crisis. Uh, what's your take on on what's happening there? I, I mean, I'm full of admiration for for what they've done. I I knew the previous guys who owned the club well. I know that like Stuart Gilmore very well, and I know that he had been trying to move things on for a, a long time, and it always kind of struck me as being as I kind of exemplified the problem of running football clubs to a certain extent and as much as that St Mirren had a new stadium no debt that I was aware of uh, you know stable ownership um, and, and all that and, and a willing sale to happen but nobody wanted to buy it because mm-hmm. nobody could actually think of the way that they could you know you could take over a club because ultimately, if anybody, if any businessmen want to do it, you know, it would either have to be a, a labour of love or something that they thought they could make money out of. And they spoke to a few people, and I think a lot of people realised that that and at that level of Scottish football, there is no making money. Yeah. You know, so yeah. therefore you you have yeah. to do it as a labour of love, and the only people that are going to do it as a labour of love are the people who love the club. Yeah. Um, you know, so from uh, and it's funny we we organised uh, we've had a couple of nights at Falkirk. I, I kind of hosted the first <coughs> one where we had the guys from St Mirren um, and from Motherwell through. Uh, to talk about their journey to where they are just now, to try and kind of inspire our fans, if we could, um, to, to, to look down the same road. And St Mirren are the closest example to, to what Falkirk need to do because they had a, a board, well, it wasn't a crisis, it was a, just a board to, who wanted to move the club on, but wanted to yeah. move it on into the right hands and, and yeah. be responsible owners by not just, you know, selling it to a pound to the first guy who comes along. Mm. Uh, so... David Nicholl spoke eloquently uh, to us. He, I, I don't know if you've had some. Uh, he's on, on our board, one, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's, uh, he's, I mean, he's, he's one, of, one of our first episodes of the yeah, podcast. Isn't terrific, yeah. you know, and and he spoke really well about uh, what um, what they did, how they did it, uh, the obstacles, um, and and one and again, I go back to one of the obstacles that he talked about initially was finding the guy to bring together all the varying factions of supporters groups, mm-hmm. uh, supporters. You know, uh, clubs, etc., and making everybody think that this was the right thing to do was, and and but obviously the, the the issue, the biggest single biggest issue they had was raising the money to mm. to buy out the previous board because they were looking for, I think from memory, it was around about nine hundred grand or something mm. like that from mm. their, their their actual ownership shareholding. Uh, and they did it. You know, they they put together a business plan and they created a model. And I think that they've got maybe about eleven or twelve hundred people mm. paying into it on a monthly basis, mm. um, which is not a vast number. Mm. You know, when you look at their support on a weekly basis, again, it probably is representative of maybe a, a, a third mm-hmm. of what yeah. they get, yeah. uh, who are prepared to pay on top of a season ticket or whatever to, to buy a membership, or, or guys who are abroad and who can't have a season ticket but still sure. want to feel part of the community. There's any number of reasons why people would take out a membership mm-hmm. um, uh, to, to, to feel part of the club. But they've done it. They've got a, a payment plan in place. Uh, they are running the club. Uh, and the right well, sorry, that's again. This goes back to fan owned and yeah. fan run, doesn't yeah. it? They, they, yeah. they, you know, they, they, they will ultimately own own the club. They, they probably do at the moment. Um, and they've got twenty twenty something percent, but yeah, in, but in it's the, but, yeah, you know, it's, buying it's those shares staggered, and yeah. it will it will yeah. build over time to the point where I think when they pay off the note to, uh, I think it's ten years mm. that they've got to pay it off. Um, so when they do that. It will be their club, and 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 again, it goes. I go back to Hearts as well. They are they they will be fan owned, but not fan run to the point where it will just be fans and you know mm-hmm. in the sure. boardroom and all yeah. that. They they need yeah. an executive to run the club yeah. Yeah. who are capable of running the club, professional, and who who will do it independent of yeah. the, the the kind of daftness of fans sometimes. <laughs> who you know who who, who listen, we've seen so many clubs run by. Over you know going back decades, independent local business guys. I mean, you you look at some of them, you think that this might be some of the best businessmen in Scotland. Yeah, 
and Stuart Milton's and Ryan yeah. McGregor's and all that. But when it comes to football, they just check their brain in at the door and, <laughs> yeah. and just doing everything yeah. with their heart, you know. And, and it's um, these guys are, are fantastic for their clubs and for their community. But you know, I mean, when you actually go below the surface and say, right, well, let's look at whether any of you, you know, if if you killed over tomorrow and your your spouse or your partner or your your business partner didn't want any part of it, have you left behind a sustainable model? Mm. Yeah. And and that's you know in, in so many cases that's just not the case yeah. you know so so therefore again these things have to be thought about as well. Mm. Yeah. One of the things you said there, which I think strikes out and asked me about the future of fan ownership in in Scotland, because you know as you said, there's not a huge amount of money kicking about the Scottish leagues, unfortunately. So if somebody wanted to come in and try and make a quick buck, they're kind of weeded out because there's nothing much in it for them, which no. kind of just leaves your core support that actually, as you say, would do it for a labour of love. So do you think in the future of the game, actually, we're just going to see more and more clubs? community-owned? I hope so. Because, I mean, I, I think it's, it's it's not the only means to survival, but again, I go back to the fact, I mean, I think it's, it's a slight misnomer to talk about, you know, fan ownership being a new thing, because fan ownership yep. has always been there for, like, for decades, because I go back to, you know, the, the local butcher or baker who would, who would hold 50% yeah. of the shares and, and be the chairman and, mm. you know, and, and have the manager run the club effectively in a lot of places. So, you know, I mean, that Fans have always owned football clubs, but usually it will only have been undemocratically, yeah, yeah. Maybe one or <laughs> yeah. two, and yeah. it, it will either have been matter of of ego, <clears throat> you know. And, and listen, I mean, there are certainly examples of fans who have no doubt trousered a, a, a few quid or, or used the, the the business as a um, a, a cash uh, cash cow, shall we say? Or, or, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, because obviously football is a, a liquid business, uh, there are certain clubs uh, and, and owners who take advantage of that. Uh, but no, I mean, in in the long run, I think what you what you've seen, I think firstly what you've seen has been the the growth of the community foundations within the clubs recently, yeah. and Nicky Reid obviously at the SPFL Trust has has been a, a huge uh, factor in that, and I think I mean she's she started off at Falkirk and and was fantastic for us as well, but but that growth of understanding that football clubs are more than mm-hmm. just football clubs that the badge actually represents your wider community and, and it's also mm-hmm. a vehicle into your wider community mm-hmm. I mean like I'm, as I say I'm on a board at, at the foundation of Falkirk uh, and have been for four or five years now and what we do we, we, we run kids a kids football program which has a thousand members in it which is great but we also run employability programs and, and we, we you know we're trying to create alternative schooling programs and, mm-hmm. and we're, we're creating facilities for community use and, and investing in these things and a load of different stuff you know that, that go towards health and well-being in the community and, and, and a feeling of participation and a feeling of that there's somewhere that you can go uh, you know for these things that, that that you might not necessarily go to if it was a government organization telling yeah, you to go and do sure. it but if we run if, if every community trust runs fit fans for example uh, which has been a brilliant program for health and well-being, People wouldn't turn up to a doctor's surgery to go and do that or yeah, turn up absolutely. to a hospital and go and do that. Yeah. But they would turn up to their football yeah, yeah. ground because yeah, somebody's yeah. going to put a, a Falkirk top on them or a Hibs top on them and say, you can, we'll do this at the stadium. Yeah. And you're giving us, it's great because yeah. I, this is my football club. And, and I, if I get a chance to lose weight and my heart isn't in as much trouble as it was in and, and all that kind of stuff, that's, it sounds daft, but that's what absolutely. a football club should be yes. in their community. Absolutely. It shouldn't just be a football club. Yeah. So again, it comes back, and I think these things are all part of a bigger whole in as much as that, that's, the growth of these organisations will ultimately probably help mm. the growth of fan stewardship of of clubs. I think it gives, I think it gives our football clubs credibility in that they're not just profit making businesses. They're actually seem to be you know, part of their community rather than just they exist in it, in the community and just happen to be there. Yeah. Also, I mean, if you you know you look at, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous the the European I can't remember the exact acronym, but the the, the kind of the European fans oh, organisation development that, football network. Yeah, yeah. and. Um, they had a conference recently and Real Madrid didn't turn up on the Sunday to do their uh, they had a kind of a keynote speech to do so Peter from the Montrose from the Lynx Trust at Montrose did it and on their education programme yeah. and you know and, and took Real Madrid's place and <laughs> And knock people out with it because it's a it's a brilliant program and it's a brilliantly simple program yes. but it, it's, it's so effective in the results that they get from it and they engage you know, forty to fifty percent of their entire community yeah. through the Links Trust. Yeah. Now, you know, I mean, if, if if every club did that with education programs and stuff like that, then you know, it's 
you know, that would be fantastic. And and I think the only way you do that is again, I'll go back to having the right people in who who understand the role of the club and the role of fans within it to mm-hmm. to turn it into something that's that's greater than than just you know, eleven men kick a ball about on a Saturday mm-hmm. afternoon. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you about, I'll sort of winding down now, but. We had um, Ali Palmer in from Nutmeg Magazine last week I know talking Ali, yeah. about uh, the, the sort of great publication that, they, that he set up there. Right, yeah. And we did have a discussion about the future of press. So I'm just going to bring back to the start of the conversation in mm-hmm. terms of your background. Where do you see the future of um, print journalism in the future? <laughs> well, hopefully long enough to see me to, 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 to my uh, imminent retirement. I mean, I, to, to, I mean, I'm just a way to turn 50, uh, you know, when I started at the Sunday Mail in 94, I think we sold, roughly on any given Sunday, we sold between 800 and 850,000 papers. Mm-hmm. We now sell around about 150,000 papers. Wow. You know, and, and, and so, that's so sorry, what year was that, 94? 94. So yeah, nearly, so, you know, 25 yeah, year kind of margin. Uh, and and every, every newspaper will tell you the same story. That's not a sob story from the Sunday Mail. That's just yeah. the way that things are these days. People consume their news in a in, mm-hmm. a, in a hugely different fashion. I do as well, you know. I mean, but um, you know, so I, I still get papers all over to the house. But I read our own paper on our iPad edition. Uh, you know, I, I comb various websites. I mean, I'm a huge American sports fan, so my, most of my time in the morning is spent. Um, you know, picking up on college basketball results, baseball results, American right, football. Really? You know, so I mean that. And so again, I I have certain websites that they are my go-to thing first mm-hmm. thing in the morning before I even read our own paper, mm. um, because obviously things happen overnight. So you're you're consuming. I mean, it, it's just the landscape is, is so unrecognisable from from what it was. I, I think people still need journalism. Mm. I think you know if we ever just go down the road of, you know club media, for example, taking mm-hmm. over things, then people will only ever get mm-hmm. the sanitised version of, yeah. of what they think they yeah. want to hear as opposed to what they sometimes need to hear. And again, from fa- from a fan organisation point of view, I think that's a, that's, that's a bad thing. Um, so, I, you know, I, I still think you need, uh, you need journalism and journalists to be looking at, you know, at their club uh, and, and, and holding people to account to a certain extent. People will say that, that we've not necessarily, you know, you go back to Rangers, people have always accused people of, of, of within our organis- organisation, but just within the, the Scottish media in general of being, uh, of, of not looking closely enough at your Craig Whites and all mm. that stuff. So, I mean, to be fair, I mean, I, 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 I go back and, you know, I, I remember the, the very first piece I wrote on Craig White was, you know, He's had time to do his due diligence on Rangers, but the Rangers support have not had any time to do any due diligence on on him and whether they should see him as an appropriate steward for their club um, before it even happened. And obviously, it goes back to whether you know whether David Murray was so desperate to get rid of the club that he didn't yeah. actually care yeah. who took it, you know. Mm. And and so you you go back to you know if you want to kind of apportion blame and all that, you can go back to that. But yeah, I mean at, at the time. I think you know could could newspaper journalists have have done more possibly. There, there's an argument to say, and again, it goes back to the fact that did we understand an awful lot of it mm. in terms mm. of the business and the law and the accountancy aspects of what was going on? No, mm. uh, and I go and people. You know, I mean, you can go back and say, well, you're trained to be an accountant, and I say, well, a, I, I never, <laughs> I never finished, and, and b, uh, I, I still, uh, you know, twenty odd years on from doing that, I'm not entirely sure I would, I would have understood it anyway. I'm not entirely sure I, I still do in terms of the actual. Yeah financial goings on of it but um but in terms of the, the of, of what the future holds for us in, in terms of print journalism that, it's a really good question i don't know i mean I, I think we live in an aging an aging society as well so mm. I, th- I still think there will always be a, a certainly in the, mm. for the foreseeable future there will always still be a marketplace for newspapers actual tangible i i still know a lot of people who like to buy a newspaper mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My dad still buys a newspaper every day and still goes out to the shop to buy a newspaper every day and he's in his 80s and, and there will be, you know, if, if we do have a, an ageing society then that will continue for some time. Mm. The next, the, the current generation who will eventually wipe out having newspapers are still quite a long way from doing that because as long as there are people kind of who are alive who are kind of probably 50 plus, mm. they'll buy a newspaper mm. or some will, you know, mm. so which is why we'll... we'll, we'll 
we'll they'll bottom so out there, at some there, point, there is a future and I, and I guess it's over the next next years uh, it's the job of the whole journalism industry uh, that whole uh, that whole section of business to work out the business model for how, yeah. you, how you get a non-paper version of a newspaper to pay it's, listen, it's been everybody's everybody's tried loads of different things to to monetize the internet from mm-hmm. a from a newspaper and journalism point of view they have different models you have subscription models you have paywalls you have uh, you, have, you know, you have various organisations that that will give you certain freebies, and then if you want to see more, pay for it. If you, you know, and, and um, uh, you know, uh, the, it's daft to think that you can give away everything for nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But do people advertise more now? I mean, this is the thing: advertising mm-hmm. revenue becomes huge. Advertising revenue, you know, sustain newspapers for yeah. years, and yeah. and people, advertisers trusted the print medium. They are still sceptical of. The internet as a medium mm. to advertise mm. because people, I mean, obviously by definition, people run ad blockers and, mm. and don't yeah. and hate it when if you click on it and you listen to their websites, you know, does it as well. If you click on a link to something and you've got to either do a survey or watch a video or do something mm. before you get to what you want to read, you know, people will just go oh, click and, yeah. and go off it. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, yeah. so therefore, yeah. it's, it's finding the sustainable model that allows you to, to do what you need to do pay the people that, that you require to, to do it and, and, and still obviously be and be accountable to your shareholders and your, yeah. your board as well. So, yeah. I mean, our organisation is the same as every other media organisation just now and that they're sure. trying to find their way, you know, and, and, and find a model uh, without or, or, and try and make it wash its face. Mm. With, with the pressures that obviously puts on, uh, on resourcing the newspaper, so I, I guess the sports desk maybe a little bit lighter than it might have been 20 years ago when circulations were up 800, 850,000. Oh, enormously, yeah. So how do, how do you find the resources to actually do the in-depth pieces that, that need to be written, that need to get voices out that, that to, in order to mobilise? It's, it's you know, in, in this example, mobilise supporters to get involved and, and, to, yeah. and to do it differently. It's, it's hard, Al, because you, you've got... Um, you know, there's obviously the, there's an element where you've got to look after the diary. You know, the, the, and on a on a week to week basis, on any paper, you've, you've you've got certain things that you that you have to cover. You've got previews for games. You've got match reports. You've got you know certain features that you need to write because there are things coming up, and people kind of expect furniture in your paper. Yeah. So it's hard. I mean, I remember there was, there was an international break, maybe a couple of Novembers ago, where. Scotland weren't involved in anything. It was a point of the playoffs again, another set of playoffs that we weren't <laughs> in. Um, and I remember myself and, and Scott McDermott, my colleague, uh, we had kind of looked at that from about a month out and thought that week's going to be an absolute disaster because the paper doesn't shrink when things don't happen. Yeah. It's like over the summer, the paper doesn't shrink. You've still got 20, 30, 40 pages in any given day or week to, to mm-hmm. fill of sport. Um, I remember looking at that week thinking there's no football and there's no there's no nothing on and we're still going to have 30 odd pages and we Time did for a, table tennis we, well that would have been great <laughs> but, but we, we ended up doing a big special at that time on um, the development pathway in, in youth football which ended up being virtually the precursor to Project Brave because right. okay. uh, Project Brave was kind of born out of the, the, the tale of it but we went and spoke to a lot of people and did like a kind of 20 page special on mm. um the development. I mean, it was predicated on the fact that, that another international failure kind of thing. But it, it was it, it then it ended up looking more forward as to, to where to take things. Um, and 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 a lot of kind of the stuff that was in Project Brave we had written kind of six months previously. Um, and we had spoken to a lot of the people who ended up being involved with it as well. So uh, I mean, it's not as if we can claim credit for the for a lot of the ideas, but it was it needed to be said and it needed to be out there so I, again I think that there's value in doing these things because sometimes these things prompt to be amazed you know you, the, the reaction yeah. that you get you, you think that Rangers and Celtic always prompt your biggest reaction but sometimes the biggest reaction yeah. that you get is you know prompt, prompted by people who are just interested in the future of football every yeah. you know every parent with a kid who plays yeah. every 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 mum or dad who volunteers for you know for their boys or girls team mm-hmm. you know these are still our readers as well, and 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 they care probably you know as more if not more about the future of the game and the future for for their kids and grandkids than than they necessarily do for the for the present. Mm. So it's, it's there, you know. I mean, I, I think that I think there's still value for us to be to be doing it, and it is hard because we've got certainly since even in the last five years, I would say that that our kind of combined desk between the record and Sunday Mail is down six writers. 
Yeah. What kind of percentage of that is that? Well, now that's all I mean. That that's going down from say sixteen to ten or something like that. Right. You know, so it's, right. I mean, it's, and, but the, the work hasn't changed. The, the, paper, arguably the paper still has to get written. Yeah, and <laughs> arguably the work has actually grown because yeah. the paper gets bigger and and you know and you have more formats as well, presumably as well. Yeah, exactly. Online, so yeah. so the workload grows, uh-huh. and you just listen. That's it. again. I go back right back to the start. It's a fantastic job. You're getting paid to 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 watch sport and write about sport and talk about sport on a daily basis. Um, so you will you will very rarely ever find any of our guys complaining about the actual job. Mm-hmm. Same as everybody else, you will complain about the politics of the job and, and all that and, and about various things. But, uh, you know, if, if somebody's telling me like that last week gets to be a busy week because I did three games of football and, you know, I, I was out and, you know, I was at a game on Wednesday night, I was at a game on Friday, I was at a game on Saturday uh, and amongst doing all your other stuff, mm. you know, by, by the diary then, um, that's, you know, you might be taking up lots of hours doing it, yeah. but it's not a hardship. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty good week. So, so that mention of... oh No, no, I was going to say, well, oh, thank you very much for giving up your time on that account. <laughs> no, I, 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 haven't, I haven't told my gaffer I'm here well, yet, no. but I'm sure, I'm sure he'll find out. Last, last question that we always ask is, we've spoken about quite a lot, you know, fan ownership, a little bit of Project Brave, future of print journalism. Um, what is the one thing that you would change about Scottish football if you could? Oh, God. Have you got another hour? <laughs> <laughs> um... I think I've written about this plenty of times as well, but again, it goes back to all the way back to governance and back to strategy and organisation and all that. I, I would I would try and find a way, if we could, of of creating a far more robust leadership for our game because I don't think that our leadership represent our game particularly well. I know that we are going through a reasonable phase domestically at the moment, and it it would appear that everything is is half decent, but. I think if you scratch below the surface at the actual governance and stuff like that, I think that we are moving in, towards it. Mm. But I still think that we have an anachronistic system whereby we've got two organisations on the sixth floor that don't speak to each other. We've got mm. figurehead presidents and vice presidents that are kind of you know that that go through an election process, which is an absolute sham, and that that we could you know we could and should have far better executive leadership in our game, I think, that, that would find better ways of, of taking us forward and, and, and looking at that. And, and that would be my one wish for the future. And it might it might sound like a, a kind of uh, too kind of lofty a, a hope that we could ever bring the SPFL and the SFA properly together into one body that, that actually cared for the good of the game and not just all their various vested interests because that's the single biggest problem that we have just now is that is that that very very few people actually vote for the greater good in anything whether it's in the spfl or in the sfa and i think that that has to change first before we really really get to move on Mm -hmm. okay thanks very much gordon thank you you're more than welcome thanks fellas so thanks there to gordon for joining us on the podcast um really fascinating discussion it was an article i think is it probably got a mixed reception um, when when it was published in the, the Sunday Mail, as anything about Rangers or indeed uh, Celtic uh, does when it when it gets published. Um, so controversial, quite forthright in his opinions in the in the article, and and also uh, when we when we chatted to him there. But it's clearly clear that he cares a lot about football, how it's run, um, and how every club can have a stronger future in the game. And I and I think if we if we take his article with that intent in mind uh, then it's much easier to read the maybe some of the more provocative things that are within it which I, th- I think he's genuinely trying to provoke a positive reaction from mm. yes absolutely um, and one thing I think we should probably say is that well, there was uh, a mention of the worker club 1872 who are the second biggest shareholder of um, Rangers Football Club and we did a podcast with them a couple of weeks ago which we alluded to in the in the in the episode so I, I would encourage people any Rangers fans that are perhaps interested in this area to go and listen to that and perhaps um, make your make your own mind up on that on that matter because it's um, they are the second largest shareholder yeah. that's a fact they're, they're actively on a journey to to buy the shares that uh, uh, that will get them that that real position of power and representation in, yeah. in their club um, and people might have an issue of how they they're going about that, but at the end of the day, you know they they do own those shares. Yeah, it's an emotive topic when you're when you're close to that club, and even if you're not close to that club, I mean, everybody forms an opinion on on what's happened at Rangers over the last sort of five or seven years. Mm. Um, so yeah, 
Um, but Club 1872 genuinely trying to do the type of job that, that Gordon's advocating for mm. there. Um, and maybe the situation could always be better that they're working within yeah. you know, the circumstance. But uh, I, I think I think the supporters groups at any club, you know, if they could if they could write the circumstance that they're 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 in sure. differently, they they probably would. Do you have to in 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 a certain to a certain extent deal with what's in front of you? Yeah, uh, and it's a complex situation that they're in. Yeah, but uh, a fascinating interview, nevertheless. We do need to apologise for the uh, the, <laughs> the incessant <laughs> the incessant wasp in the office. We I think we've got it was such a nice day here in Falkirk. We've had the windows open, yeah. and uh, we just so happen to be positioned next to a uh, a wasp's hive. <laughs> I don't know if they're <laughs> called a hive. I think they're called a bike. No, a bike. I think they're called. Okay, okay. Yeah. So uh, don't ask me what the collective noun is for a wasp. So, uh, you know. Wasp. Uh, so and they're almost taunting you. It's like an aloe kind of metaphor. Oh yeah. I just had to. <laughs> Don't not again. I <laughs> just can't get rid of them. Um, yeah, I hate the wasps. <laughs> <laughs> shame, shame, shame. Yeah. Uh, one thing I always find funny about aloe is how happy the wasp in that in their club crest. Yeah, he's, he's a, a, a cheerful wasp. Yeah, no, seriously, I'm. I would like to congratulate aloe on having having gone up via the playoffs. I'm going to really miss the pie in a roll. Uh, my next visit to recreation no it's not called recreation park anymore I can't remember what it's really it's called now indoor drill indoor drill arena uh, yep. yeah my next visit was going to be to to have the wasp special as my halftime snack of choice um, uh, but that's going to have to wait for, mm. for at least a season unless we draw them in one of the cups so so well done to Alawa uh, for, for going up um, despite doing it at, at my own club's expense <laughs> um and we should also special mention to well, congratulations uh, congratulations to Beverly who uh, works with us at Supporters Direct Scotland, but she won a, a lifetime club person of the year. She's looking at because we're recording this while she's here, so <laughs> she's giving us a, a stare. Uh, she won't come on to say a few words. She uh, won't. We've tried. We've tried. But um, congratulations to her on winning club. It was. I think it's technically called Club Man of the Year, but I think they Not they anymore. may need to change that. Not yes. Anymore. So the first woman to win it at St Johnston for her outstanding uh, work with the supporter liaison officer and disability access officer, and she's we, she's not looking at us anymore, so we can't see that she's. Uh, <laughs> she's probably. Blushing. She's shaking. Yeah, I don't know if with laughter or with grief. Rage, probably. <laughs> that we've uh, brought it up, but uh, <laughs> congratulations to to Beth. Yeah, well done. Well done. Uh, next week we have a very special guest on the podcast. Yeah, Andrew's beside himself with anticipation about this next one. Uh, someone that's been on our list uh, of people to interview since we started the podcast. Andrew's been campaigning for this with his uh, with his active interest in, in African football, particularly in, in Zambia. Um, we're going to talk to somebody who is at the heart of one of the, I, I think, one of the, the least well-known stories uh, in Scottish football. Uh, Jimmy Bone's going to be on the podcast, uh, who was the first... It was a, a Scottish manager who took uh, a side from sub sub sub, sub equatorial Africa Southern African yeah the first, first Southern, Southern African, African team to win the African Cup Winners Cup mm. uh, back in the early nineties yeah uh, when he went to the mighty Morphin Power Rangers no, what were they called <laughs> uh, oh no, I think that's very disrespectful Alan they're called Power Power Dynamos Power Dynamos yep and uh, they uh, they won the and he won the double there although he yeah. technically didn't win the double as uh, you'll he, find he, out in the he really did win the double. Um, yeah, he really won the, the won the double. Mollity. It's a great story, a great story. But also talking to him about the rest of his career before then, um, it was a name that I knew from Scottish football growing up, and I knew part bits of, parts of his career. Um, I actually didn't know his playing career too much, but uh, uh, yeah, he's had a had a really varied varied career, both in the playing and managing side and yeah. a great great guy to talk to really really enjoyed that chat yeah so that's coming up next week so you have to come back and make sure yeah. you listen to that we're keeping that one back yeah okie doke well thank you very much and uh, we'll speak to you next week Behind the Goals is a Supporters Direct Scotland podcast you can get in touch with the show by emailing behindthegoals at hotmail.com or you can also tweet the show at SupDirectScott that's S-U-P-P Direct Scott Thank <laughs> you.